Hello and a warm welcome to Be A Bigger Fish, the podcast that explores the power of podcasting. I'm Debbie, your host, and the star of this episode is the multi-talented Rob Edwards. Rob and I got in touch on social media through a common interest in podcasting, and we have quite a lot of conversation about the potential of audio in organisations and the way we think that's going to evolve in the near future. But Rob shares so much more, both through his current career and interest in well-being and good mental health and through the fascinating career path he's taken through senior leadership in large organisations to acting and voiceover talent to his current role. I thoroughly enjoyed the twists and turns of this conversation. It was totally engrossing and I really hope you'll enjoy listening in to our conversation too. Well, I'm delighted to welcome Rob to the podcast. So Rob, welcome. Hi, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. And I wonder if you'd like to start by just telling us a little bit about yourself and your background. Of course. So professionally, I've got a, probably 25 years worth in the corporate sector, um, running leadership roles across a number of different industry sectors, content production and IT and, and various different areas like that. I had a media company down in London for a spell. I was head of multimedia for a large online retailer. I then became a freelance TV producer, so I worked in TV for a while, making content for Sky and for Virgin. I've got a bit of an acting kind of profile as well. I've, 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 I've dipped my toes in the acting sector and thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy that. And then, yeah, I, I hit a bit of burnout and a bit of depression on the back of all of that. So I, I burnt out professionally, I burnt out emotionally because as a senior guy in businesses, um, I never felt there was anywhere to go to talk to people about uh, health and mental health. And I, I, I burnt out, to be honest, Debbie. And as a consequence of that, I took a bit of a break. And now what I do, I'm a mental health professional. I work in health and well-being across a number of different organizations. I do training and comms for large for large corporates. Thank you for sharing all of that with us up front. That's great. And I hope we're going to dig into those topics quite a lot through our conversation. But just to be cheeky to begin with, <laughs> I'm really intrigued by your sort of showbiz credentials. Would you like to oh. tell us some of the highlights of your acting career? Cracking my showbiz credentials. That's, uh, <laughs> I've, I've never had it put across like that before. <laughs> uh, I like to challenge myself and do things that kind of scare me a little bit. I think that's an important philosophy on life. I always say to my, my kids, I'd much rather have a life of so what than a life of what ifs. I'd rather look back and go, so what, at least I tried it, as opposed to look back and think, what if, what if, what if I'd have tried it? And so when I hit 40, I, I decided on a whim to sign up for some acting classes uh, because it scared me. Uh, and they went really well. I kind of made the cut and I got in uh, to the school and I loved it. And it taught me about people, really. And it also taught me kind of technical choreography because that's what acting is. So I learned all about depth of field on cameras and, and how to hit your mark. And I learned about stagecraft and all that sort of stuff as well. And I found it really technically interesting. So, uh, yeah, I was quite lucky in the fact that I started to land a bit of work. And then I had to, and then I had to, I, I, I got an agent which was interesting because you could then say to people, yeah, call my agent. And yeah. uh, so it's, uh, <laughs> it's really funny. But then I had to change my name as well because there's already a Rob Edwards who is a well-known actor. 
Ah, I see. So I have this kind of dual identity, Debbie. It's really weird because when you sign up for equity and, and, and all the different acting um, platforms, you can't have the same name as somebody else. So someone has stolen my name, you see. Uh, and he was in his 60s and quite well known. So I had to come up with another identity, which was an interesting challenge. And I thought, do I adopt some like pseudo sort of Italian name? And, and everyone will think I'm some kind of Italian Lothario. Uh, but then I thought, I'm a bald bloke from Manchester. So that's not really going <laughs> to work. So my, my celebrity status, <laughs> if you want to call it that, is Rob Mitchell James. And Mitchell and James are my two sons' middle names. Oh, so, nice. Um, and I've been in, I don't know, it comes and goes. I don't take it that seriously, but I've been in things like Coronation Street and Emmerdale and a little thing called Peaky Blinders and, and a couple of films as well. And yeah, wow. I love it, but you can't rely on it. Not yet. <laughs> oh, is it a growing career? Is it a growing part of your kind of career portfolio, the acting? It's it's really funny. It's It comes and goes in waves. So you think for one moment it's growing and you think, yeah, I've landed some nice jobs here. And then it just grinds to a bit of a, a, a halt for no particular reason. And you think, I might upset somebody on set. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then it's just, all it is, it's, it's such a fickle industry because it's basically down to if your face fits or not. And, and I don't know, you know, what, what, where does this face fit? So sometimes it, you think it's growing, but then it just kind of recedes again and you just go, okay, well, maybe that wasn't meant to be. If you take it too seriously, you'll, you'll get hurt by it. That's yeah, yeah, that's an interesting way to look at it, actually. Yeah, and fascinating, mm. fascinating that you said it gave you a really good connection with people, understanding people. You know, when you started to to study acting, absolutely. And I think I think to be a, to be a good actor, I think yeah, you can learn all the different techniques, and you know, we're all taught Stanislavski's techniques and all this sort of stuff, and you can learn all the technicalities of that. But at the end of the day, you are portraying uh, somebody else. And the more you've got in your kit bag, the more life experience you've got, the, the easier it is to bring that to camera or to stage. And so I find it a fascinating study of personality and, and belief systems. And that's what I like to bring to it. You know, you, you get into the head of another character and uh, you, you have to bring your own life experiences to that in order to portray accurately. So, yeah, it is a study of people. It really is. And, and that's what I find fascinating because I'm a people person. I'm an empath. And sometimes that's exhausting. But. I wouldn't change that for a minute. Yeah, I know what you mean. And actually, I think that connects really well with um, other parts of your career too, like podcasting, for example. And, and I know, you know, understanding people is such an important element of a, a role in communications. So, yeah. so tell me about the podcasting, because we obviously connected over a mutual interest in podcasting. And I, I think that's something that you've taken up quite recently. So what inspired you to get involved in that? You're absolutely right. It is a relatively recent thing. And I've always been interested in in podcasts. I've always consumed podcasts because I like the idea of sort of audio on demand. And I think, you know, we're all familiar with the concept of video on demand. And, you know, you don't all sit down to watch the same program at the same time anymore. You kind of catch up on iPlayer or you watch on Netflix and, and you choose what you want to watch when you want to watch it. So I apply that same principle to audio because um, I like to pick and choose what I like to listen to. So I've always been interested in podcasts and various different ones, mixes of news and industry comment and comedy and music are, are, are key things. And so I did want to explore it, but I kind of doubted myself because I have this funny relationship with imposter syndromes and self-doubt. And so as much as I wanted to dip my toes into it, I was kind of questioning myself. And then one day I went out for a walk with Scott. My, uh, one of my sons, my eldest son, um, and he works in content production and media production. And we just started talking about it. And we went, 
well, I want to do one. And Scott said, well, I want to do one. And so we said, well, do you know what? Let's stop messing about with this and talking about it. And let's, let's jump in and do it. So, so that's what we did just as an experiment. And we've absolutely completely jumped in with both feet, <laughs> both of us. And, uh, and, we, and we love it. We absolutely love it. And it's getting some really quite interesting feedback. <laughs> yeah, excellent. So that's yeah. how we got connected really. Yeah. And uh, so it's been a, it's been a, a long time interest and, and a relatively recently, uh, a relatively recent evolution. Yeah. Okay. So tell us about the sort of practicalities of that. How did you actually start podcasting? Did you just buy kit and press record or did you go to find out some skills training, that sort of thing? How did you get involved? Because I've got a bit of a performance and a bit of a media content production background, and there was there was various different bits of kit lying around the house. And, and because Scott does YouTube and is a musician and a singer songwriter, we sat down in my house one day and glued it all together and, you know, strung one cable into another cable and one preamp into another preamp and we wired it through to a you know some software and hit record and it was awful and we went oh this isn't this isn't very easy and then what if we want to bring people in and have conversations and what if we want to bring in like news clips and interviews and 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 that sort of stuff and make it a rich podcast how do we how do we do that and well we'll We'll plug this phone in and see if that works. And then the sound was terrible. You know, I, I, I've got a voiceover kind of background as well. I do various different bits of professional voiceover work. And so I thought, well, the quality of this isn't really very good. And then you think, well, how the hell am I going to edit all this sort of stuff anyway? And then, so once we got some pretty awful sounding content, we were then trying to chop it around and edit it. And we thought this, if this is the world of podcasting, we're not going to survive. Scott then pointed me towards a bit of a uh, rather expensive piece of equipment. <laughs> I went, what do you think, Dad? And I went, oh. So I sat on it for a couple of days and then thought, if we're going to do this, you've got to commit. So I bought this lovely piece of equipment. It wasn't cheap, but it was absolutely worth the investment. So that's how we did it. So we bought a Rodecaster Pro. Um, it's, it's on my desk now. It's active. And it just simplifies so much. It's the ease of production that it brings in is, is, is impressive. The sound is amazing. Um, so it forces us to focus on the pre-production. And it hugely reduces the time in post-production. Um, and I find that a massive benefit because now we can, we can produce, we can, we can write and produce and distribute really easily. It yeah. was an early investment, but a worthwhile one. <laughs> yeah, okay. And I think you're the first person who's been on the podcast that's recommended that piece of kit, actually. So, um, yeah, yeah it's, it's a good one to know about because you're right, it's the, it's the post-production and the editing that takes such a lot of the time of podcasting. Yeah. So good to know that, you know, you found a tool that reduces that. It, it really does. And, and I'm, I'm kind of a little bit reluctant to recommend it heavily. I would do, I will do for any professional podcasters, but I don't want everyone to have one because it would make <laughs> us, make me less competitive. But, um, um, from, from my, from my, because I am an empath and I like to make people's lives a little bit more smooth flowing, then yeah, it is an amazing piece of kit. And I'm not sponsored by these guys at all. <laughs> so there's no, there's no back deals going on here, but yeah, it just makes it so much easier because that edit time is, it can be cumbersome. You know, it can be yeah. 30, 30% getting the content in and then 70% of the time start chopping it about. What we've found over the years is if you say to people, we're doing this as live, you know, almost treat it like you're live on air. Uh, if we do foul up, we have got the opportunity to cut some of this stuff out, but work on the principle that it's as live. And if you do um a little bit, it's okay because it's authentic and it's natural. There are so many podcasts out there that that sound robotic because every little idiosyncrasy is trimmed out of it. 
And from a listener's perspective, you just want to hear genuine, honest content, I think, these days. And something that is overtly edited and robotic, just um, from my perspective anyway, I can only base it on my view of the world. I think it sounds a little bit unreal. Sometimes it has the potential to do that. So the the, the overproduction can can damage it. Sometimes I think. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, and that there is a there is a good balance to be struck. I think between like wise editing and yeah. over editing. On, you know, on yeah, the other hand, absolutely. So, yeah, yeah, it is a, it is a tightrope. It really is. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting challenge I face every day. It is an interesting. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, exactly. okay. Well, that that's brilliant and a great piece of advice for anybody starting out. I think to look at that piece of kit. What do you think makes for a successful podcast? We we just touched on this issue of authenticity and kind of the reality of the human voice which I think is a really interesting angle but but really for you what when you were listening to podcasts made them successful and how did that influence how you then tried to make your own podcast that's a, that's a, that's a really interesting question I think uh, you're you're absolutely right I think the bedrock of it has to be that 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 authenticity uh, and, and it's an overused word these days I always hesitate to use it because so someone actually approached me because I do obviously mental health coaching and, and uh, resilience and well-being and all that sort of stuff. And someone genuinely approached me um, a few months ago and asked me if I could coach them to become authentic. And I said, well, maybe just go to the dictionary on yourself and read the word authentic. And then if you still think you need my services, which I don't think you will at that point, <laughs> maybe give me a ring then. So I think that 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 bedrock of, of, of honesty is really important. But um, and, and, the, and the quality of the sound is really important. Because I think you can have you can have some amazing content, but if the sound isn't rich and if the sound is poor, it will it will it's the biggest contributor of lack of engagement. In in TV, you've got lots of other things to distract you. You've got lots of imagery, but when it's audio, all you've got is the audio. So it's got to be decent quality. So I think, but on on that with that as a bedrock, I think for me, what makes a successful podcast is its engagement and its feedback. It's very easy to chase listener numbers. It's very easy to log on to your systems and look at how many people have listened over the last month. But for me, that engagement is key because, yes, I want to know that people are listening, of course, but more importantly, I, I, I want people to know that they appreciate what we're doing. So there's always a feedback section in there. There's always a listener comment section in there. There's always an opportunity to get in touch and let us know because that can help to steer future content as well. Because it, it can be really difficult coming up with, as we know, as, as creative people making content, it can be difficult knowing what to make it on. And so if you can source that and seed that from lots of other people, um, I think that's really useful. And then one, my, my final thing about what makes a successful podcast is doing what we're doing now, getting other people involved. And if there's two or three or even, I would say, four people around the table, if it's well-structured and well-managed, that share of voice um, is really interesting. Um, there's a lot of solo podcasts out there. I do a solo podcast myself, but it's only 15 minutes long because I think that variety of voice, of tone, of expression, of opinion, of belief, I think is really, really important. Yeah, that's interesting. Do you keep the solo episodes capped at 15 minutes because you think that's as long as a solo episode needs to be? Or is that because of sort of feedback you've had from listeners about preferred episode length there's been a bit of listener feedback saying your 15 minute one is bang on because it just the, the whole essence of that one it's called the 15 minute mindset and the whole essence of that is encouraging people to get up and away from their desks uh, away from zoom cameras and zoom lenses which we seem to be just living on these days and it's not good for health physical or mental and so my whole idea it came from basically living on zoom since march <laughs> yeah and 
you know, I've had to do all my coaching and all my, um, my, my workshops through Zoom. And I've observed just a complete Zoom burnout. And I described it the other day as the beta max of video communications. I think, <laughs> I think, I think we've reached the boundaries of it. So I, I, I want to encourage people to get up and move and consume content in different ways. And I thought 15 minutes, anyone can buy 15 minutes back. Um, and so I think when it's a solo voice, I think that's, that's enough. And the feedback I've got suggests that's the same. So it was a deliberate thing with that one. There are some very successful single voice podcasts that are longer than that. But I think you have to be really aware of people's attention spans these days. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you're right about the roundtable discussion. Certainly my experience with my podcast has been that the conversations where there are multiple people involved have been the most popular listens. So I think yeah. you're right. People do enjoy that. I think it's that sense of atmosphere that you're participating in a in a dialogue, a conversation rather than just two people. Maybe you've got that, mm. you know, you, you're in a team, a little mini team of people. It's that's it's, it. And yeah, and you get different feeling. interactions as well. And yeah. uh, I know, I know from from the one I produced with Scott called "All About the Doubt," where we, 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 it's a father and a son podcast, and and we sit very honestly opposite each other, uh, and we talk about our own episodes of self doubt and imposter syndrome in in a very honest, but also quite a humorous way because we've got a good honest relationship like that. But we we committed very early on that we would bring other people into that, so we're kind of opening our little family unit up to other people. And sometimes they're around the table if we can do that in a COVID safe way. Other times we link them in on, you know, various different technical platforms. And it's lovely because you get a bit of banter and you get a little bit of, um, you know, just, just, just three-way comedy, if you like, and, and three-way insights. And it, it, it's, a, it's a lovely little journey of, you know, honesty and some very emotive stuff in there because people are sharing their episodes of doubt and stuff like that but then we don't take it massively seriously well we do we take we take the topic very seriously of course we do yeah but i think you know we can we can find lightness and humor in a lot of topics and and that's that's what we try to do with, with, with that particular one so yeah the, the the team dynamic around the table is really important yeah i agree and i listened to that episode that your mum was in i thought it was really <laughs> lovely and i think you're right i think it's it's right to take the topic seriously but have a light-hearted approach i think that's a nice way to to have dialogue around things that's non-threatening um, yeah. and enables you to talk about them without feeling vulnerable that's the thing and that that was a leap of faith that episode with my mum but um it was lovely and she she didn't have a clue what to expect she's listened to them but she's never sat in front of a microphone but what i said to her she had she had this beautiful voice this kind of soft beautiful tender voice and i thought i've never heard that in 50 years <laughs> Stick her in front of a microphone. She sounds really different. <laughs> so, um, but it's all about creating that safe environment. And, and you know, we, we, we work, I was talking earlier on about pre-production and, and we emphasize that in the pre-production. You know, you can come on and share anything that you want to and you know that you're in a safe environment because, you know, Scott's had his own incidences of, of this sort of stuff. He, he suffers from self-doubt and, but embraces it as well. So it's, it's that emphasis of safety, really, that's, that's really important while we're talking about creating that safe environment I know that's something a lot of workplaces are desperately struggling to do and particularly at the moment where like you say there is this concern about people's well-being people being remote not having that outlet of you know discussing things face to face with colleagues and peers what would be your sort of tips for creating a really safe environment for people to have those sorts of conversations 
That's, that's a great question. And I, I think you're right. It's so important these days. It is, it, if it's not at the top of people's priority lists, it absolutely should be as, as, as organizations who take health and well-being seriously. I, I always say I don't really want to work with organizations who just are, are doing it from a, for a box ticking exercise, you know, to say, yes, we've now got mental health qualified people in the business because they also need looking after. It's more than just ticking a box. It's a cultural thing. And so uh, it's hugely important now. And what I've observed over the last few months of living life through Zoom and, you know, various different communications and and, uh, deliverables of workshops and webinars is this, I don't know, it's just, I call it Zoom face, just this lack of engagement at the moment. Um, Because we only have a certain attention span, like I said before. And if you're stringing back-to-back Zoom calls together for 8, 10, 12 hours a day, it's not effective. And so engagement is is severely hampered at the moment. Information recall is severely hampered. And so I think it's absolutely time. And now we've got this extension as well, you know, perhaps further into 2021, which some of us were potentially thinking about but hoping wasn't going to happen. Well, it, it's it's here and it's now. Organizations have to be really thinking about this now. So it's providing other other platforms it's committing to it it's providing people in the business who can be non-judgmental who can listen effectively who have got the appropriate skills and then filtering that out through all the different communications platforms and not doing it necessarily through email or zoom calls but yeah maybe creating a bit of audio content that supports people let's face it we've we've got a huge opportunity to do something different now the world has changed um we're in the middle of an obesity crisis as well if we throw in, you know, the physical health angle and, and the government is encouraging movement. So as audio professionals, I think, why don't we take that and think about how these organizations are now doing their town halls, for example, and how they're doing their CEO updates, how are they doing their onboarding? Um, you know, are, can you get to know the leadership team in a different way? Um, how can you meet your new hires, meet the new employees? And if you are going onto a training course, well, let's maybe create some pre-training content. So you can go out for a walk for half an hour, listen to this, seed your ideas, and then come to the meeting with some ideas, as opposed to sitting for three hours on a Zoom call with no agenda, with no engagement. No one's got the cameras on, so you don't even know if they're there or not. It's just that preparation of thought again. So maybe that little pre-prod that I put really as a high priority on my podcasts, maybe apply a little bit of that to your meetings. You know, so how can you do your market updates? How can you do your health and well-being content in a, in a different way? The, the opportunities are endless at the moment. They really are. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's about broadening your perspectives a little bit, I think. And and what I'm really fascinated in is um, the, the kind of crossover between a lot of the things you're interested in and the hmm. fact that you're using audio. So this, you know, your interest in physiological health and psychological health in the workplace and your use of audio. Do, do you feel that audio is a good channel for discussion around those topics? And, and if so, why? I, I, I completely do. Yes. I, I think that audio has an intimacy that other forms of content um, and communication don't have. I think as long as we are relying upon video or YouTube or Zoom or email or reading documentation, it requires us to sit and consume it. And we sit and consume a lot. And even when we're not at work, we sit and consume, you know, the, look, at, look, at, look at the Netflix engagement stats. Um, and you know that, that that's an organisation that's boomed in lockdown. We we are encouraged and we are addicted in many senses to screen based 
media. Um, even look at the social media feeds, you know, and, and how many times, how many hours we're spending on that. Can I point people to watch The Social Dilemma on Netflix, by the way, if no one's watched that yet, they can please watch that program. But audio, yeah, is is intimate because it's in your head, it's in your ears, and there are no other distractions that are going on. And I think the opportunities for it are massive. Yeah, I agree with that. And interestingly, I've listened to a podcast about The Social Dilemma, but I haven't watched it. <laughs> it's, um, it's a fascinating insight. It's quite dystopian. Um, I'll make that note. But anyone should watch it. And anyone who's got preteens should watch it. I think it's got a 12 rate. It does mention things like self-harm and it mentions things like suicide. So you do have to be aware as to who you point to it. But I think it's really important that these things get discussed. Yeah. Um, so audio, back onto topic, <laughs> audio plays a huge role because it can break that addiction with screen media that we've got. And that's one thing that I'm trying to do. We can't, we can't just switch it off completely because we're too deep into it now. But absolutely, we can start to regulate it a little bit. We can regulate our exposure to it a little bit and maybe increase our exposure to other forms of content that are a little bit more mindful, maybe, and encourage a bit of movement. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Totally. We've talked a little bit about the potential of audio and and how useful audio can be for discussing difficult topics and also Mm. how useful it can be for breaking you away from screen addiction. Yeah. Can you see any really good applications for podcasts in a professional context or maybe for you know, personal development, training, that kind of thing? Absolutely. And, and there's a growing market for it as well, which, which I find really encouraging. And so I'm, I'm, I'm engaged in conversations now with, with a number of different organizations in, in a number of different industry sectors. So there is a huge health and well-being focus at the moment. There are, because we are restricted in movement, um, there's a lot of application-based content around, you know, um, physical exercise, you know, like the Joe Wick stuff and things like that. I, I introduced myself the other week on my mindset, on my 15-minute mindset one as sort of the audio Joe Wicks uh, without the long hair and the good looks, but a bit <laughs> of a mind workout as opposed to a physical workout. <laughs> um, in in that sector, in, 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 the, in the health and well-being sector, there's a huge demand at the moment because there is a growing acceptance that we need to treat physical health and mental health on the same plane. And so in order to maintain good physical health, it's, it's a challenge sometimes because we, we, lose mo- we lose motivation and we lose momentum. And so if you can prop that up with some mental health support and some mindset work, it really helps. So there's an absolute golden opportunity there. But also in the corporate sector, yeah, I think we touched on a couple of them before, just about different ways of engaging your staff. And as opposed to sending out a white paper of 15 pages long, uh, and expecting them to sit and read it all about your industry updates and some new developments. Why not get a team of three or four people around a table who understand this stuff intimately and, and record it and, and talk about it and then say to everyone, the white paper will be out next week if you want to sit and read that when you're ready. But as a precursor to that, here's some ideas as to why we've created it. Uh, and here are some of the key points to pull out of it. And we'd love your opinion on that. So why don't you send some comments back in? And it builds this this dual engagement that is so important because we, we, we create a lot of stuff in a broadcast format these days. And even on Zoom, voices dominate. And it will be one person dominating that Zoom call. And there's very little opportunity for engagement and interaction. And so there are some really cool podcasting platforms now that encourage people to send comments back. So even almost like on Audible, when you're listening to an Audible book, you can make a little note on your system and you go, oh, that's an interesting chapter. I'll send that to myself. 
there are some really cool podcasting platforms out there now that enable you to do the same. So if you hear something of interest, you can timestamp it and in the app, send it straight back to the producer and go, I'd like to ask a question on that next time. And so it, it develops this dual, this two-way communication process, which is what we are so lacking at the moment. Yeah, totally. So there are so many opportunities around that. I'm so glad you brought that up because I think that is one of the major blockers in people's minds when they're thinking about podcasting professionally is it seems such a broadcast channel and we're desperately trying to move into an era of more two-way collaborative dialogue you know inside organizations and it's so hard to manage that when you're dealing with that at scale um, yeah. so you know I think that's a great point about you know, that the intimacy of audio giving people more of a license I think to interact with it and as long Completely. as there's a mechanism for them to give that feedback and that interaction absolutely and there, there, there are mechanisms and I, I i have it i have a mechanism for that and so it can sit on a secure platform because the other thing as well if you're creating corporate content if you're doing um you know here, here's an update on our latest acquisition for example right mm. you're not going to want to put all the details of that out on spotify and apple podcasts exactly. because it's secure information and so you need a secure platform in which you can select your distribution. You can look at who's listened to it. You can see how far they've got through it and you can encourage that feedback as well and, you know, get that dual dialogue going. And, and that's, that's absolutely key and it's critical um, because the other thing that I've observed over the last, however many months we've been in this situation, I, I seem to have forgotten. Yeah, lost now. Count. <laughs> it just seems to be this endless pit of Zoom calls. There, there, there's a security risk at the moment. I was talking to a very senior person in a, in, in, in a business. They were working from home um, in their dining room, which is where people seem to work these days. It's either a kitchen, a dining room, or a bedroom, or if you've got a home office, you're quite lucky. And so this guy was, was, was on his dining room table on a Zoom call, getting the, the, the telling off from hell from his MD. Okay, So his MD had kind of lost the plot and was shouting at this guy through the Zoom link. This guy was sat on his dining room table. On the opposite side of the dining room table was his four-year-old boy. So the MD didn't know this. The MD should have known that this guy had a young family. He probably did, but he failed to take that into account when he was effing and jeffing down the Zoom call to this guy. And so what actually happened was a little four-year-old boy, who at four you put your parents on a pedestal, don't you? Yeah. Um, heard his dad getting shouted at and was, was, was in tears. So we're intruding into people's home lives. We have to be acutely aware of that. So that's yeah. why podcasting is really important. But, but the second incidence as well, I was, I was in, in another organization I was working with. After, after my Zoom call with this particular person, I said, do me a favor after this. I said, Don't jump on another Zoom call. Take half an hour out. Go out, walk the dog. It's a beautiful day. Get some fresh air. Give yourself a bit of a break. And they went, oh, no. In fact, after this call... <laughs> Um, I'm going to sit in on my husband's board meeting off camera. So no one in the board meeting knew that they were there. And so the, the, there's not only a intrusion into people's home lives question here, but there is a data security question here because who is, who is sitting around? We don't know. We're, we're sat in a frame at the moment on a Zoom call. We're sat in a camera frame. That's true. Um, who knows who's outside of that frame? And who knows about where, where is the integrity of that data? So I think we have to be really, really aware of that at the moment. We've, we've entered inadvertently, in brackets, the new normal, and I really hate using that phrase. But when you, when you cut through the use of that phrase, and everyone kind of raises their eyebrows and tuts when they hear it. But actually, think about it for a minute. Don't just turn your nose up at the phrase, but think about what that means and think about how we are intruding into people's lives at the moment. And, and, and the mental health 
impact, the data security impact of that. And if that's not on companies' radars yet, well, hopefully when they listen to this, it will be because they need to take their stuff seriously. They really do. And therefore, the suggestion of maybe you know a secure platform for the distribution of audio content and the two-way feedback of that audio content so you can you know, suggest other, other ideas and other avenues for it. Crikey, if that's not seriously considered, it should be. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Do you mind telling us what the platform is that you're using? There, there are um, a couple out there, but I, I use one called Storyboard. Right. Storyboard, yeah. yeah. And, and it's developing week on week and it's genius. And, and it enables organisations to securely distribute content to selected audiences so you can see who gets what. And you can, you can check in and see what those engagement figures are and you can encourage that feedback as well. So I, I work very closely with those guys and I think it's, it's a brilliant platform and it has tremendous opportunity when you think about dropping that into the corporate sector for yeah. all of those reasons that we spoke about. I've spoken to JP from Storyboard actually quite yeah. early on um, in the development of that and yeah, it's great that the, the innovations that are happening on that platform are, are pretty impressive. It's, it's impressive yeah. stuff and JP's a, a really top bloke and um, I, I occasionally reach out to him because, you know, I, we all have little moments of, as I said, self-doubt and imposter syndrome kind of, it's easy to fall into the process of overthinking. And I do, I know I do. Um, even, even in the job that I do, I still do it. And so I, I, I I'm conscious of building a, a support network. So when I do kind of hit my moments of insecurity, I can pick up the phone and go, what do you think about this? And JP is one of my kind of go-tos. I'm like, well, I, I'm thinking of this, JP. And he's always a voice of reason and he's always a voice of positivity. So, yes. yeah. So I think yeah. that platform is 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 poised for big things moving forwards. And I'm proud to be you know, to be able to provide it. I really am. Yeah, so brilliant. it's not just about the content, the production and the podcasting. It's about, it's about audio on demand, dual feed, dual communication, audio on demand strategies. Podcasting will get you through the door because people are familiar with the term. But... I think we need to move the discussion on a bit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, you just touched again on imposter syndrome and <laughs> an overthinking, um, which I, I definitely am guilty of, I have to say. And I know that you led a TED talk, actually, on related subjects on mental health, well-being, and particularly on uh, male suicide, which yeah. I would recommend anybody um, to go and take a look at. So I'll, I'll put some details of that uh, in the show notes. Has that experience that you alluded to in the introduction, your burnout, has that been a trigger point for what's motivating you currently in the choice of things that you're doing? And, and what impact are you hoping to have in that area? 100% it was a trigger point, yeah. And and, and that's, my, that's my biggest motivation now is for, for a significant portion of my life, being, being that guy you chose to man up. And I, I, I detest that phrase and I use it selectively because we hear it so much. You know, just man up, just get on with it. And it's, it's spoken about a lot these days. But from my own experiences, I, I was that guy um, who had senior roles in some big companies, um, lots of members of staff, and, you know, with my own insecurities and my own things to deal with. And the closer you get to the top of an organization, I think the more lonely it gets. Um, because a lot of your attention and energy is focused on making sure that everybody in your team is all right, making sure that the company is all right. But... There's not a lot above you to kind of look down on you and make sure that you're all right. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think it tends to be a little bit lonely up at the top. And especially 
for men, and I don't want to kind of play the man card too much here, but we are pretty rubbish at speaking up about that sort of stuff. And we'll, you know, potentially turn to some unhelpful coping strategies or we get really competitive or we get more determined. But we've only got a certain amount of energy. And when it's gone, it's gone. Whilst I was doing all these jobs, I was doing two Ironman competition as well. So it's a two and a half mile swim. It's 112 miles on a bike and it's a marathon. And and that in itself is a bit of a, an emotive and a physical challenge. And so yeah. throw that into the mix as well. And it was a means of me demonstrating, you know, the fact that I could set goals and achieve them and all that sort of stuff. So there's no wonder that I burnt out. And so I know intimately what it's like to go through that, um, what it's like to burn out, what it's like to get depression on the back of that, and what it's like to feel pretty wretched and hopeless, and what it's like to have to man up through that process. Or you don't have to man up, that's the thing. Yeah. Because it gets really lonely and it gets really ugly. Uh, and so what I'm hoping to achieve from that, yeah, the TED Talk was was a difficult thing to do because to stand on stage in front of a big audience, but also that then gets distributed globally through TED. Yeah. So you don't know who your audience is. That was a lesson in vulnerability. It really was. I bet. My dad was in the audience. My brother was in the audience. My friends were in the audience, but lots of other people that I didn't know were in the audience. And to stand up on that stage and say, you know, I'm, I'm a bloke who used to man up and I suffered as a consequence and I hit depression. And to talk very openly about that wasn't easy to do. But yeah, it was, it was the best thing ever to do because then people know you. And so it's all about, for me now, it's breaking that stigma and, and being the guy who can open up. I hope to inspire others to be able to do the same. And then on the back of that, hopefully I can offer the interventions and the support mechanisms to, to do that. And that's the coaching and that's the you know, the, the workshops and it's also, you know, getting into people's heads with the podcast as well. Yeah, brilliant. And you mentioned earlier about reaching out to your own support network. Is mm. that sort of a critical thing for you in terms of you bouncing back from that burnout and, and you know, recovering a, a new career path? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because I think when, when you are in, 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 in the depths of, of depression, you, you, it's a very isolating experience it's a very degrading experience and and you feel pretty worthless to be fair and and even the simplest of things becomes very complex and very difficult to do and by that I mean getting up and getting breakfast can be a real challenge you know and in that situation it's very easy to think well isolation's the answer here but it really isn't because that's not really going to help because the only voice that you listen to is your own and it's not a good voice at that moment. It's just your mind being a bit poorly. You know, sometimes we feel a bit sick and it's our body telling us that we feel a bit sick. Well, the same thing happens in the mind. Sometimes your mind just gets a bit poorly. That's all it is and it's just telling you wrong things. Yeah. But it's temporary and it's okay and you can learn to deal with it. So that, that use of a supportive network is, is huge. And I never used to know this, okay? I never used to be aware of all this. I was, just, I was like the sole flyer. I was the guy out there and doing it on his own. And it's rubbish because, you know, we need that support network. And the people that, and it's not always family because, uh, and it's not always your friends because they're invested in you and they're always looking out for you. And they'll tell you what they think you want to hear, um, which is lovely, but there's love there and they're invested. Sometimes you need to talk to people who tell you what, what you need to hear, yeah. not what you want to hear. And, and having that professional network, and it might be a therapist, it might be someone in a different industry sector um, who you can just talk to and get a different perspective and share very honestly about how you're feeling. 
it might not be nice to hear what they're telling you, but God, you might need to hear it. Um, and that's that's the difference. So yes, we need a family and a friend support network, and we need to be honestly able to talk to them. Absolutely. But we also need a second support network, which is non-judgmental, which is not based on you know love and and and, and that. It's it's based on it's based on non-judgmentalism and it's based on the ability to listen effectively. And that's the absolute, that's the key to it. I think it takes a lot of courage to seek out that kind of input, actually. And I think it's having the courage, isn't it, to be honest about needing that. It's not just about your rights, not just about empathy and people being mm. on your side. You know, it's having somebody who'll give you that honesty and clarity. Um, yeah. And and, and, that, and and there's the root of the problem because it, it, it does take courage. It mm. shouldn't. It shouldn't. Because we should be able to live in a world where that's possible. We're, we're getting there, but we're not quite there yet. So it does take courage. But from a guy who has summoned that courage, um, I can 100% say it pays back. It really, you know, if, if in life we're going through things and looking for a return on something, um, that's a guaranteed return. If you can summon the courage to do it and to speak up when you feel most vulnerable, it 100% pays you back. It's one of the best investments you can absolutely make. Because people see you in an honest way. They see you for who you are. You're not wearing a mask. The word personality, by the way, which is kind of what we're talking about here, people's individual personalities. The word personality comes from the word persona, which was a mask. Um, it's an actor's mask. You know, when you see the equity sign and, it, you know, the happy yeah, and the sad mask? Yeah. They're personas, right? It's an actor's mask. And so the word personality comes from the word persona about wearing a mask. And that's what we're encouraged and that's what we're forced to do. You know, life encourages us to wear masks for various different things. And the thicker the mask and the more time we spend behind it, the more energy that takes. And when that energy's gone, it's gone. And so it's about reducing the time behind that mask at the end of the day and, and reducing the numbers of masks in your kit bag. And the fewer you've got and the less time you spend wearing them, um, the better your personality becomes. It's a simple equation. That's a super analogy. I think that's so helpful. And, you know, that has application across all of the issues we're tackling in terms of inclusivity and diversity. Really interesting way of looking at it. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. It's, oh, it's my pleasure, honestly. And, and, and then you throw in. So, yeah, you take you take that web of, of, of work and professional personas and all that sort of stuff and family personas and, you know, being a good parent and then being a good yeah. partner and being a good son and all that. They all require roles. Right. Then you throw in. And back to the social media thing again, you throw that into the mix. And, and you know, we were designed as human beings or we've, we've evolved as human beings to have social interactions with, with a relatively small number of people, really. You know, our, our social network, face-to-face, -face, our touchy-feely social network is actually quite tight. We weren't built to have that social input and that opinion from millions and millions and millions of people. Um, but that's what we're immersed in now. And so we're struggling to deal with it at the end of the day. We're struggling to deal with it. Yeah. Because we don't have that capacity to, you know, accept all that opinion from millions of people all over the world. Getting quite deep here, aren't we, David? I know. Do you know what? I, I just looked at, like, <laughs> what is my last question? And it just looks completely lame compared to the way, where we've gone with There's this There's no lame questions. <laughs> So I feel like I'm just going to leave the, the last question a, a little bit open, really, and just ask you, Rob, what are your aspirations from here and what are you looking forward to in the future? 
hopefully they've become clear throughout this, but my, my aspirations from this are, are to give people that big bag of courage and, and, and to trade it in for some honesty and some authenticity. And I will, I will peddle that every day. I, I want to be the kind of dealer on the corner going, here's some courage for you. <laughs> um, you know, just take it and run with it because it'll pay you back tenfold or twentyfold or however many fold you let it pay you back. Um, so, and, and whatever mechanisms there are out there, whether it's, whether it's coaching, whether it's webinars, whether it's workshops, and, and hopefully, and absolutely is starting to happen, an increasing reliance upon audio media. Um, that's, that's absolutely one of what I do. That's where I want to take this. Brilliant. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I wish you all the very best uh, with what you're achieving. I think it's super. So thanks very much. So Rob, I haven't asked this question for ages, but I'd really like to hear from you. What do you think the phrase be a bigger fish means? Ah, good one. I've I've heard you ask this a few times, and I've I've, I've pondered on this one, and I'm, I'm thinking it through. I, I don't necessarily aspire to be a bigger fish. I think on the on the flip side of that, I'd rather embrace the diversity of it, and I think embrace the complexities. There's lots of different fish out there, and they all they all have similar needs and similar wants and similar desires, and but sometimes that hierarchy and that 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 focus on size and status gets in the way of that. So of, of being who we really are. And so I, I don't necessarily think it's about being a bigger fish. Um, although that is the title of your podcast and I love it. Um, for me, it's not about being that bigger fish. It's just about finding the best in all the others, I think, and, and embracing that diversity and embracing the differences that we all have. Thank you. I think that's a fascinating response. Yeah. Thank you. This has been awesome. Thank you, Debbie. It's been an absolute pleasure and I've thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. So uh, I wish you all the best with all of your others. You're doing an amazing job um, raising the profile of, of you know, podcasting in, in all the different realms of it and especially in the corporate sector. I think you're doing a brilliant job. So thanks for the opportunity to come on. Loved it. That's so kind of you. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you yeah, very much. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. I'd like to say a huge thank you to Rob. I really enjoyed chatting about all the topics in this podcast and I hope that there was something in there that either motivated you or encouraged you or gave you the courage that you need to reach out for the kind of support that you know will be helpful to you. If you'd like to find out more about Rob, I'll put a link to his YouTube video in the show notes and also to his LinkedIn profile so you can get in touch with him too. I was really pleased that Rob agreed to answer the question on being a bigger fish. It seems a fitting end to the episode because that was the last episode of season three. It's been a brilliant season. I've thoroughly enjoyed it, starting from the first episode, which was recorded before the pandemic, running all through the summer and leading up to now. And I'd like to say a special thank you to everybody who's contributed to this season, particularly those people who've agreed to take part and be interviewed. Thank you so much. The podcast wouldn't be here without you. But thank you too to everybody who's tuned in and listened, even if it's just for a few moments. I really hope that this series has given you some value and some enjoyment. I'm really grateful for every listen. So thank you so much. And please do feel welcome to get in touch if there are any guests or topics or ideas that you'd like me to explore for season four. I've got my thinking cap on and I'm just planning the content of that season ready for 2021. 
So take good care until then, and I'm looking forward to seeing you soon. Bye-bye for now.